Let's begin with a word of prayer. Blessed Lord, you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them. That by patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right, so i uh, going to finish up uh, the, our discussion of law and gospel. Really, we just have one thing to cover uh, relatively quickly, hopefully, on that. Maybe a little bit of review of what we did last week on law and gospel. And then um, I didn't really want to start. The next thing in the book is baptism, but that's a pretty huge topic. And I didn't really want to start something that big um, with the kind of middle of a class when we're finishing up this long gospel, uh, seemed just seemed like a hard, hard shift. So I thought I was thinking about what else goes with the Bible and law and gospel that we've been talking about that I could kind of stick in here that the book maybe doesn't really cover that deeply. And uh, I thought about uh, the sermon because that that kind of came up last week uh, that law and gospel is connected to how people hear the sermon and um, how some pastors write their sermons. And I thought it might be a little fun to talk about the Christian sermon and basically, uh, one, give you an inside look at, um, I think I think it might be beneficial to give you an inside look at how I and other pastors probably write their sermons, um, kind of prepare for a sermon and write it and deliver it. And then also to talk about some things that you can do to re, uh, to to hear the sermon and to to take take away more from the sermon. Um, so one of those handouts there is to uh, tips to get more out of the Sunday sermon, and the other handout is um, a little uh, case study or example um, one of my sermon outlines from a couple weeks ago. So um, we'll kind of talk about what that that is later on here, but. Let's finish up uh, Law and Gospel first before we do that. And uh, just as a quick review, so with Law and Gospel, uh, we talked about um, the narrow and broad uses of the terms Law and Gospel. So law can mean uh, using the the Hebrew word Torah, uh, which is sometimes translated as law in the Old Testament or often translated as law. It can mean the law and the prophets, like the first five books of Moses, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Sometimes law can mean that. Sometimes law can mean the scriptures even more broadly. Um, in the narrow use that we talked about, it's we said it's the eternal will of God, God's will for our lives, uh, what, what he wants us to do. And then uh, gospel can be broad as well, right? The, the gospel can talk about um, one of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one of the gospel accounts. It can talk about um, the gospel, well, it could talk about the gospel reading on Sunday, right? Uh, or it can mean kind of the, the broad, uh, if you share the gospel with someone, that could include both a repentance of sins, which would be more of a narrow use of the law, Along with the message of salvation through Jesus Christ, which would be the more narrow use of the gospel. So that would be John three sixteen. Uh, yeah. So John three sixteen um, is contains both. Yeah, depending on how the person hears it. So that's one of the other things we talked about to kind of continue in the review is that law and gospel is uh, how how the word is applied or heard by the hearer. So someone can hear John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. And they could hear that as gospel. God loves me so much that His Son, he sent his son to die for me to forgive my sins. Or someone could hear that as narrow law, are you telling me that someone needed to die for my sins? Are you telling me that I that that I've done something wrong? Uh, that that you're that that would be necessary for that to even happen, 
right? So uh, people can hear the word even when it's a pretty basic word like John 3.16. They can hear it as law or gospel. And the uh, this is why – okay, so, so really quickly back to the narrow and broad use um, – when, we're, when we talk about law and gospel as a Lutheran doctrine or a topic of Lutheran theology, we're talking about them in the narrow sense. So the law being, the again, the eternal will of God for our lives, uh, which we said an easy way to remember these things are these narrow definitions are SOS, that the law shows us our, our sin. And the gospel, uh, SOS, shows us our Savior. So the narrow use of the gospel or the narrow definition of the gospel is that um, the uh, message of the forgiveness of sins for salvation. So it shows us our sin and shows us our Savior. Those are the narrow definitions. Now, we did talk about this kind of debate that has gone on with law and gospel in Lutheran circles in that some people have taken law and gospel as kind of the paradigm to do both preaching. So with the sermon, you've probably heard this sermon before that is organized something like you're a poor, miserable sinner. Here's why. Jesus died for you for that sin. Now try and live a better life. And no matter what the text was, that was the same sermon, you know, could, you could have heard that I had a pastor growing up that that was the sermon every every single Sunday, um, no matter what the text was, right? And then the book uh, where I kind of disagreed with the book is that other Lutherans will also say that law and gospel that the scriptures are divided into law and gospel that you have law verses and you have gospel verses, right? And um, I, I I tend to disagree with that because of what Marsha already mentioned, that you can hear the same verse as law or gospel, right? The same verse can be applied as law or gospel. There are also verses that simply, like, what are you going to do with them? Like uh, like genealogies. Is, is, a, is a genealogy law or gospel? I don't, I don't really know, right? Um, so law and gospel can't be our kind of paradigm for all of interpreting scripture, all of how we preach, what law and gospel is, as I argued, and this is, I think, uh, how the Luther, Luther and how the all the Lutheran church fathers, if we, if you will, took it um, for a long time until kind of modern, the modern era, is that this is a way to describe a tool for pastoral care. This is. A way to think about how, again, how the word is applied or heard and what people need to hear from the word. So one of the things we said is that with long gospel, we're trying to comfort the afflicted. And afflict the comfortable. That if someone is afflicted by their sin um, or afflicted by the effects of sin in the world, uh, so the main effect of sin is what? The wages of sin is death, right? So if uh, someone is afflicted by a death in the family or something, so it might not even be a sin someone committed, but it's still an effect of death, then you want to give them the gospel, right? Jesus rose from the dead so that we're triumphant over the grave. Right, comfort them with the gospel. If someone is afflict, uh, if someone is comfortable in their sin, I think the example we gave last week was if an adulterer cheats on his wife and he says, "Yeah, but I still love my wife and I didn't really mean it, and you know it's okay, um, it doesn't really matter that much." Then we want to afflict with the law. We want to say, "No, God does have punishment against sin. God does have wrath against sin." And you need to repent or uh, you will not be forgiven, right? So this is uh, the kind of idea that we also want to distinguish law and gospel, right? We don't want to tell the 
unrepented adulterer, oh yeah, it's okay. You can do, you know, it, I'm sure it doesn't really matter. I'm sure God really won't care. Um, that we don't want to say uh, that Jesus forgives unrepentant sin, right? Okay, I've heard people say, yeah, but you know, it doesn't say seventy uh, times seven. And I haven't done it seventy times seven yet, so I'm still okay. <laughs> so the the purpose the the distinction would be that yes, Christ's forgiveness is infinite. Um, Christ Christ buries our sin into the depths of the sea and remembers them no more. He forgives us seventy times seven, which is basically to say unlimited, right? Um, and the well, the distinction is that Jesus does that for repentant sin, right? He does that for sin that is uh, that that is repented of. He doesn't forgive sin that is unrepented of. That's why he tells the apostles, the pastors, he says, uh, "Your job." He breathes on them and he says, "Your job is to forgive the sins of those who repent and to withhold repentance." Or withhold forgiveness uh, from those who are not forgiven, right? So he he Jesus tells that in John 20 to his disciples um, because the the forgiveness is is on the basis of of repentance of of having contrition or sorrow over your sin and and seeking absolution. All right, so. Um, so that's that's kind of law and gospel in a nutshell. Uh, we also said this is a very difficult task, and then we talked a little bit more about the law, and this is uh, where we left off. Is the law has so the gospel just has one effect, one one purpose, uh, which is to comfort, to forgive sins, so that we would be. We would belong to Christ. We would live with Him here and into eternity, right? That's the purpose of the gospel: that that our sin would be forgiven, that we would be comforted, that we would live with Christ here and in eternity. The law has three effects, let's say. Um, three effects. One is the curb, right? Like the curb on the road that. When we see the punishment of the law, we see the wrath of God. We see this even happens on, in an earthly way, right? Uh, when we see that, you know, we might get a ticket if we speed, um, then it keeps us from, you know, speeding, right? So this is the curbing effect of the law. Um, that ultimately, for the Christian, this is true with God's wrath and hell. That we believe God does have wrath against sin, and if we do not repent of our sin, if we do not turn from our wicked ways, then we will perish um, in hell. So the, the law is to keep us curbed from, from sin. The mirror is kind of the main, the mirror is the shows us our sin, SOS type of the law, in that the, the, the law, so take the Ten Commandments, which is a summary of the law. You see the Ten Commandments, it's like a mirror, right? Uh, honor your father and your mother. Oh, yeah, I haven't, I haven't always done that. Right? I haven't always obeyed my authorities and loved and cherished them for what God has given them to me for. Um, so it's a mirror. It shows you your sin. All right, the third one that we did not talk about, this is where we left off, so review's over, uh, is the guide. The guide. And this, the guide, um, let me start off by saying this. Another common mistake that people make with law and gospel is to say uh, that the law is bad and the gospel's good, right? Don't like the law, like the gospel. Law is bad stuff, gospel's good stuff. Um, that is simplistic and it is also simply wrong for this reason because for the Christian, so remember we said that the, the curb and the mirror are both for the Christian and, and unbeliever. Now, for the curb, it's... Full stop for the for the both uh, we'll say for the C and the U the Christian and the unbeliever um, the mirror is certainly for the Christian uh, it is also for someone who is 
being uh, brought to repentance, even though they may not have the gospel yet. So he did say uh, this is kind of a very uh, unlikely, or not unlikely, but um, what's the word I want to say? This only happens a little bit. This only happens for a brief moment of time in someone's life. But uh, it is possible that, that someone could be a repentant sinner. Someone could be brought to repentance. They could see the mirror of the law, and they might not know the gospel yet. They might not have been shared the, the salvation that comes to Jesus Christ. So someone could be in despair over their sin and not know the message of salvation. Um, hopefully, if someone is coming to a despair of their sin, that message of salvation is going to be uh, quickly shared with them um, so that they can believe on Jesus Christ. But it, it's true that if you kind of look at someone's conversion, um, unlike the Baptists, we don't believe that conversion just kind of like happens at a certain moment when you say a certain prayer or something, right? But oftentimes when people are converted, they'll go through a kind of a process where they'll, they'll realize that sin exists in their life and they don't really know what to do about it right away. So you might have, you might have some, an unbeliever who doesn't believe on Jesus Christ yet, but does experience the law as a mirror. So that's that's not like the most like kind of common thing in a person's life. Um, as I said, that kind of happens for just a brief time normally. But in the the mirror is in that sense for the unbeliever as well. That um, it can bring you can have a, a repentant sinner who doesn't yet know Christ, which is uh, if that kind of makes sense. So then, the, the, but the mirror, or the guide, excuse me, is only for the Christian, right? It's, it's, it's not for the unbeliever. Um, and the reason that is, is because the, the guide is when the Christian recognizes the law as a good thing and something that we want to do. So it is a guide for us, right? The, the law, the Ten Commandments become not just a negative thing, not just what we shouldn't do and what we failed to do, but a positive thing that as a Christian, I want to honor my father and my mother. As a Christian, I want to help my neighbor in his physical needs, right? I want to um, pray and come to worship the third commandment, right? I want to study his word. I want to live like a Christian, the second commandment. Um, so the guide is for the Christian, right? The the guiding effect of the law is when the, the Christian sees the law as a, as a good thing. Um, and that, that, that is only possible by the Holy Spirit working in us to, to see that, right? If we were an unbeliever, we'd be like, God can't tell me what to do, you know? <laughs> right? Why would I want to do, do these things? Um, so one, uh, one just quick, um, if you turn up over to Psalm 119... Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. And so uh, sometimes there, there, are, there are some Lutherans out there, uh, not, not our kind of Lutherans, but other kinds of Lutherans, like some theologians in the ELCA, uh, who are what we call antinomians, which means anti-law. It means they want to focus only on the gospel and not focus on the law. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of an antinomian thing to say. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I like to point this out that the longest chapter in the Bible is all about the love of the law. <laughs> so this is Psalm 119. Uh, and it's all about how so they'll kind of deny the third use of the law, say the only re- the only reason for the law is to bring someone to repentance so that they can hear the gospel. And then after that, it's all gospel. Um, but that's simply not how the the Christian. I don't I don't understand how you can read the Bible and, and think that, um, because there's so much about loving the Lord's law in the Bible. Um, so Psalm 119 is a great example, and uh, let's uh, look at verses 97. Uh, to 104, 97 to 104. So the the mem section, the, so it's Psalm 119 is an acrostic Hebrew poem. Each uh, lines of each section starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. 
So that's that's what those sections are. Okay. So. Um, it's in the order of the Hebrew alphabet. So this section is uh, what we call the Mem section. Looks like that, kind of. Um, my Bible has a little the yeah. pictures. Yeah. Uh, so. um, all right, so so it's really beautiful in Hebrew. But So verses 97 to 104, I just picked out this section. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. So think think here, uh, your law, your commandments, your testimonies, your precepts. These are all law terms. I have restrained my feet from every evil way, right? And so there, you, you, he's obviously talking about the law, right? Mm-hmm. That, that he's staying out of sin. Um, that I may keep your word. For I have not departed from your judgments, for you yourself have taught me. So judgments is another law term there. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Okay, so Psalm 119 is full of this stuff. The Psalter is full of this stuff. And, um, I mean, Paul in... I, so Jesus in the in the New Testament, right, is the Sermon on the Mount is an entire exposition about the, the goodness of God's law. Um, Jesus encourages people to love God and love their neighbor uh Paul is constantly giving exhortations to live according to the law, right, and not according to evil ways. So uh, the, the guiding use of the law really is all over the scriptures, and Christians are called to a love for God's ways. Um, and this has nothing to do with our salvation, right? Uh, this is why we this is why we distinguish law and gospel because, we're not saved by the law. We're saved by the gospel. This is the other part of distinguishing between law and gospel is where's our salvation from? Our salvation is from the gospel alone, right? Um, but however, when we are saved, right, this is like the point of the book of James, uh, you can't separate uh, the gospel salvation from then the new will and the new life that you have in Christ. Faith without works is dead. And so uh, we live with the law as our guide, with God's um, precepts, with his, with his um, words, with his law, with his commandments as, as our guide. And um, so the, the term that the book brings up here is sanctification, that when we do live with the law as our guide, um, cooperating with the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit is the, the driving force here. However, we're not robots, so we do we our new will in Christ does cooperate with the Holy Spirit. We are go undergoing what we call in theology sanctification or the being made holy, and which means being made more like God, being more set apart for the purposes of God. And I like the definition the book gives, which I left my book in my office, but um, does someone have their Lutheranism 101 book? In the law and gospel section, it's got a little box that says need to know sanctification. It's right there. In a wide sense, sanctification includes all effects of God's word. In a narrow sense, sanctification is the spiritual growth that follows justification. By God's grace, a Christian cooperates in this work. In this work, through the Holy Spirit's work, faith is increased daily, love strengthened, and the image of God renewed, but not perfected in this life. Yeah, so that's great uh, that we grow in the in the Christian faith daily by uh, the work of the Holy Spirit and us cooperating with that work. Uh, looking towards the law as our guide, always relying on our justification, right? Always relying on the gospel 
because we're going to fail. We're not going to do perfect, um, of course. So we always rely back on the, the, the forgiveness of Christ. But yet we do grow. We do grow in this life. And we do grow as Christians. And, and the Holy Spirit helps, helps us to do so. Um, and thinking about the law as our guide is, is an important aspect of that. Right? We can't just kind of do away with it and say, oh, well, it's all gospel. Right? Because then, then where are we at? We can just live however we want without, without any consequences. Right? We have no, we have no place, and we have no place to go. Right? We have no place to grow um, if, we, if, if, none of, if none of it matters. And um, yeah, it's kind of a bad thing. Sometimes I've seen these, these antinomians, um, they'll end up looking. So, so it would be a mistake to look to your sanctification for your salvation, right? You're, just because you've grown in the faith uh, doesn't that it, that's not what causes you to be saved. Um, growing in the faith happens because you're saved and because you have a new life in Christ. However, it's also a mistake to look at your own sin for your salvation. So sometimes these antinomians will be like, "Well, look how forgiven I am because how sinful I am." Uh, because they have nowhere else to, to look, right? So this is why we have to have both law and gospel. We have to distinguish them, but they also can't be separated um, either. That we, the, the gospel, we rely on the gospel, and the gospel's our salvation. We're constantly coming back to the gospel um, as we struggle against sin, death, and the devil in this life. The law does continue to show us our sin, and show us where we fail, but then the law also uh, guides us, and the the new life that comes from the gospel loves that law and wants to live for it. So these things work together, um, and they they can't be completely separated. They but they do have to be distinguished. So, any final thoughts on? Um, I want to get to the um, sermon stuff. Any final thoughts on law and gospel? Does that all make sense? Any questions? All right, so the next thing I want to talk about, I'll just move this side of the board, um, is the Christian sermon. And let's see here. Yeah, so like I said, I want to um, first give you kind of an inside look. Maybe you'll think this is boring. I don't know. An inside look at uh, the kind of uh, pastor's. Uh, preparation, writing, and delivery. And I think this will hopefully be helpful to you. Uh, one, because I think you do have a kind of right to know what I do all week. <laughs> um, and it, I, I think, you know, there's so many things, so many different things that different pastors do in different traditions and denominations. Think, think of the sermon as that, that maybe this will give you a little bit uh, better kind of definition or idea of what a sermon is. Um, yeah, I mean, you've grown up listening to sermons, but I know uh, for me, I've never listened to a sermon the same since I became a preacher, since I started um, writing them and delivering them, because uh, which in some ways is not not good because it's nice just to listen sometimes, but... Um, to to think carefully about what this action is that the pastor is doing every week for the people of God is, I think, helpful. So so for th- those reasons that you kind of just know a little a little more maybe what's going on that might be interesting to you, and two that it would give you a, a a good idea of what really is the sermon, what's the purpose, why am I doing what am I I'm doing? Um, I think something is true that my what we call homiletics, which is the study of sermons, study of sermon writing. Um, my homiletics professor said in seminary, which was that the sermon is the one time of the week where you are saying the most amount of things you get to say to the most amount of your people, 
or something like that every week. That it's it's this you know twenty. Attention. Yeah, there's this, and and you get the most people there, right? I mean, there's always going to be more people at, at Sunday service than there is at Sunday school. There just is. So um, you're you get the most amount of people of your people there at one time every week, where you have. You might get an hour with a person, you know, in a counseling session or something that week, but you're not going to get that solid hour with every single one of your members every week, right? So the sermon is important for that reason in that it is when the pastor gets to be with his people for the most amount of time in a solid chunk um, every, every week. have some event that happens this week and say, oh, that will be a good sermon. No. Uh, so yeah, let's let's jump into it. So and then after that, I want to go through these tips uh, for for you from your side. So um, the preparation side of things, uh, I guess I'll write some of it down. So basically, uh, it starts about a month or so before, uh, depending. Sometimes sometimes even longer. Uh, if I was a better pastor than I am, I would like worship plan for like six months at a time. Normally, I just do a month at a time. Um, but that's uh, one of my own downfalls is the lack of planning ahead. But when I worship plan, uh, what I'll do is for each Sunday, I will kind of uh, skim through all the readings and I will uh, pick a text uh, for each Sunday and think about things like over the month or over, I, I know kind of what I've done in the previous couple months and then um, we'll even look ahead a little bit too, that I, I want to make sure that the people are getting the whole counsel of God. So what I mean by that is that there are a lot of different things that the Bible teaches, and I want to give the the best, uh, this is why the lectionary is so great, is instead of doing like a bunch of little sermon series and doing my own hobby horses, is that the with the lectionary, you get a set of readings for the entire year that really touches on most aspects, if not every aspect of the Christian life and faith. And so I want to give a holistic understanding of the Christian life and faith throughout the course of the year. And so I'll try and pick text uh, where I'm looking at like what doctrines and what topics are kind of covered in that text that I know need to be covered uh, in this part of the year. And the lectionary kind of has theme with other themes within it too. So um, obviously in Advent, we're going to be looking more at things like hope and prophecy. And um, in Christmas, we're going to be looking at things like the incarnation and uh, the fulfillment of prophecy. And in Lent, we're going to be looking at things like repentance and what is sin and the work of the devil. So there's the there's other se- the seasons within the lectionary help kind of guide that. But it starts with worship planning that I'll pick text out at least about a month beforehand so that I can kind of plan to make sure I'm touching on the right types of topics for that part of the year. Um, then within a week, so the, the weekly schedule starts on, uh, normally on Sunday nights or Sunday evenings. Uh, so after I've done that day's work uh, for Sunday, then for the next week, I'll, I'll read the text uh, that I'm going to preach on. Well, I'll, I'll normally just read all the texts uh, for the coming Sunday in, in English. Um, and that just kind of gets it in my mind as, okay, what am I uh, start, starting to think about things I might talk about? And that does help if I have a visit on Monday 
normally I try and schedule my phys- visits not on Monday, but if I do have a visit on Monday, then I, because when I go on visits, I will um, get, I will, I'll, I'll kind of preach, I'll preach the text for the coming Sunday. Um, so it's good to kind of know what they are ahead of time. On Monday um, is when I will translate the text so from the Greek or Hebrew, uh, Greek if it's New Testament, Hebrew if it's Old Testament. And um, I will, when I translate, so I start to look at, um, first of all, really like the basic meaning of the text because uh, the basic kind of literal, historical, grammatical meaning, uh, which obviously the translating is important for that. And, you, you know, if there's like any translation issues with the English translation and things like that. Um, and then I'll, re- I'll start to think about some themes. So the theme is kind of the big thing that I want with a sermon. Uh, I, the advice, one of the pieces of advice that I've taken very seriously um, was from my fieldwork supervisor during seminary for preaching, which was, you need to say something, <laughs> uh, which sounds like a very basic piece of advice. But you've probably heard sermons before where there really wasn't a thing that was said. Right. There was a lot of things that was said, but there was not a point. Right. Uh, there was not a a singular theme like the takeaway. Summarize your sermon in one sentence. Um, normally, I'll kind of whenever on Sunday morning, whenever I make the announcements and I say today, we're going to consider this in the sermon. That's kind of what my theme is. Um, it's to, to give a one kind of a one sentence main idea that we're going with, right? So I'll look for potential themes when I translate. Uh, Tuesday and Wednesday um, is just thinking, right, about about the text and about the themes and um, just kind of letting my mind. And I try and do my visits on Tuesdays uh, sometimes because then I will get to preach an ad hoc sermon on the text based on what I've thought about, and uh, that will help me decide which direction to go. Um, I don't always get to do my visits on Tuesdays. Um, I'd say maybe 50% of the time I can actually make that work, but uh, that is nice when I can do that. So then uh, Thursday is normally my writing day, and um, what I write is I don't write a manuscript. I have written manuscripts. Sometimes I write manuscripts. Most often I just write an outline. And more and more, the more and more I do it, the more and more I think I'm never going to write a manuscript again. I don't know. Um, but but I'll write an, my outline. And it'll be sometimes it'll be smaller. Sometimes it'll be more exhaustive. Um, but what I'm well, well, we'll get to what I do on Thursday in a second more. Um, and then. Uh, on Saturday is when um, I, uh, it's my day off. Yeah, my, my day's off on Friday. So I will think about it um, sometimes just, you know, because, but uh, sometimes it's in my head. But, uh, but uh, then Saturday I'll just um, practice out loud once and normally in my garage. It just happens to be where I go on Saturday night. Uh, so I'll practice on Saturday night. So that's kind of what I do. Um, different pastors do different things. So this is not a, a one-all approach, but I think it might be interesting to you to kind of know this is what I'm doing throughout the week for the sermon. And of, of course, there are weeks where it doesn't always do that. This doesn't always line up perfectly, right? Yeah, at what point do you look back to see what your subject was or theme the previous year? I'll do that. Don't I'll do that. Uh, I'll do that both when I worship plan um, and all, so what I've been doing recently since we're at the point in the year now where actually I've, since I've been here, I've preached, um, twice on most, uh, sun for, for the Sundays. Um, so I'll have like a sermon from Trinity 15 or the, this week's Trinity 16 from Trinity 16, 2020 and from 2021. Um, so I'll look at both of those and see which text I did and, then um, what I've been doing is that I'll, I'll, I've been picking a different text um, just kind of for fun 
that, that I haven't done before. I don't mind preaching on the same text two years in a row, though, because there's always more to say. So, um, oh, the the other thing I'll think about. So, and then I'll I'll, I'll do it again. I'll look at the last couple sermons um, on Thursday when I uh, or even on Monday um, sometimes when I want to pick if I want to kind of pick a theme when I know what theme I'm going with. Um, I want to make sure I didn't do the same, a very similar theme last, the last year or whatever. Um, but there's always so many themes to choose from. I mean, it's not that difficult. Is this difficult. the part where you find something, I don't know, uh, not topical, but current, relevant? I noticed, I'm sorry, these two names down here. Mm-hmm. And I thought, so do you try to always bring something in? I don't relevant? always try to bring something it in relevant, like, yeah. It, it, it seems like from before I saw this, I thought about that before when I'm hearing you, that, that there took it, maybe, maybe different people hear different things, but it seems like everything that, that comes from you, every sermon, it's somehow relevant. Yeah, so that has right to do now. that has to do with application. So let's uh, and that's that that's good because application um, is so one of when I'm thinking on Tuesday and Wednesday, one of the things that I think about is not just the theme but also uh, the applications, and that's when I'm thinking about what does the congregation need to hear. Um, so the theme is going to be more dependent on the text itself. The applications are going to be more dependent on the hearers. And um, I try and be pretty application heavy because I think that's important. Um, and I'll get to kind of how that plays out here in just a second. So um, this is kind of the schedule. And then um, to break this down a little bit in the in the writing part or the outlining part when I'm actually thinking, okay, what am I going to say? Uh, what's the whole sermon going to be? Uh, so first of all, I want to, again, pick a theme um, and we'll kind of jump over. Uh, let, let's use the handout here as an example. So this is from Trendy 13 a couple weeks ago. Um, I just, I don't know. I picked one from a couple weeks ago. Um, had no reason for picking it, but uh, this is what an out, a basic outline will look like. Sometimes I will expand the outline and have subpoints that I want to make sure I hit, or kind of uh, mental reminders for illustrations and things like that. But I I uh, took it down just to the basics so you could see here. So my theme was our heavenly Samaritan Jesus saves us from that which shouldn't be, and I got that theme from the text. Um, about a man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and I was thinking about Jericho and how it was supposed to be destroyed. Uh, so that which shouldn't be. And uh, that's kind of what I ran with. Um, and then, of course, our heavenly Samaritan Jesus is the, the picture of the good Samaritan. So um, the journey from Jerusalem to Jericho. So uh, anyway, so that's the theme. So the point I wanted to get across is that there's there's wickedness that should not be that's an effect of sin in our world, and Jesus saves us from that evil. Um, he saves us from our journeys to from Jerusalem to Jericho. He saves us from the wickedness in this world, um, this whole mess that we're in. He he saves us. Okay, and then um, so that's the theme. I want to pick a theme. I want to say something. Then I'm going to get to major divisions. And the major divisions, uh, first of all, I want to be textual. So I want the uh, main parts of the sermon to all be rooted in the text uh, that I'm preaching. And uh, so you can see in the parentheses there, the journey from Jerusalem to Jericho is a journey that shouldn't exist. That's verse 30. Um, we desire to save ourselves from the mess that we're in. That's verses 25 to 29, which is about the lawyer that stood up and tested Jesus. The law can't be fulfilled even by the best of us. That is verses 31 and 32 about the priest and the Levite. Then Christ is our heavenly Samaritan who is able to save us. That's 33 through 36 about the good Samaritan. 
And then 37, you go and do likewise is Jesus' final statement. So that's kind of my conclusion, which is Jesus' conclusion to the text. Um, and so you, you'll see there, uh, on the one hand, I oftentimes I will try and follow the flow of the text. Sometimes the text gets mixed around for the purposes of accomplishing the theme. Um, so that's, uh, that's the one thing with the major divisions is that they're going to be textual, and then they'll kind of go in the order that they need to for the theme. Now, um, the things that I'm thinking about um, when I am thinking about what are my major divisions going to be and then what is going to go under those major divisions, uh, the first thing I'm thinking about is really application and I'm not really thinking about law and gospel because the thing the thing with law and gospel and preaching is that it's going to take care of itself if you preach the text because the, the text is going to be – it's the Bible, so people are going to hear it as law and gospel, um, how they need to. What I tend to think about is um, what is a pretty traditional uh, category for Lutherans that has – the some theologians in the Middle Ages came up with this, but um, the five uses of Scripture, and uh, this is very heavily referenced throughout a lot of Lutheran theology, uh, homiletic literature. But the five uses of Scripture um, are from Second Timothy three and Romans fifteen four. So Second uh, Timothy three sixteen, which you'll recognize whenever. I tell you what they are, and Romans 15:4. Um, so 2 Timothy 3 is that all Scripture is profitable, breathed out by God, and useful for uh, teaching. So Paul Paul gives this list about Scripture, uh, teaching, rebuking, correcting. And training in righteousness. And then uh, the fifth, Romans 15:4 is where we get that Scripture is for comfort. Everything that has been written for our instruction is uh, given for the comfort of the sinner. So uh, these five uses of Scripture, um, these are the things. These are kind of my goals, right? So uh, I want. And I'm not going to try – I don't go through them like, where's my teaching section? Where's my rebuking section? Where's my – but I think uh, about that what I need to be doing is these things, right? Um, and that this is how I'm going to apply. I'm going to apply by teaching. I'm going to apply the this scripture by by rebuking or uh, something – a sin. I'm going to apply this by giving correction to uh, how we're to live the – Christian life or by training in how to live the Christian life um, or by comforting uh, the the afflicted um, right comfort the afflicted that's the that's the purpose of the gospel so um, these are kind of the things I'm thinking about really one of my main goals is to teach what the text means so I'm always going to be doing something like that uh, that comes in here for instance that uh, with a lot of things one that this text shows us that we can't uh, we can't fulfill the law, right? The priest and the Levite can't fulfill the law. That's a point of doctrine that I that I taught. Uh, Christ is our heavenly Samaritan. Um, that that Christ is the one who's able to save. That the story of the good Samaritan is primarily a picture of the sinner in Christ. These are teaching the text, right? Teaching what the text means. Um, you go and do likewise. That's sanctification. That's a teaching point in some way, right? Um, all right, so so yeah, these are, and, and when I do application, when I'm thinking about this, then uh, that's going to include things that seem contemporary because one of the uh, things that then from application that I'm going to um, So this is kind of application. Then I'm also going to be thinking under that about 
illustration. How am I going to portray these things, right? Uh, and how am I going? So this can be examples. It can be analogies. It can be uh, different, you know, pictures I, I, I paint with the words to uh, get across whatever whatever the application I'm trying to do is uh, to get across. So um, that's where the, the kind of contemporary stuff will come in is I will bring in things that I know are relevant in people's lives to illustrate uh, so that I can get across the application. And so right. that's when the light bulb goes off so bad. Yeah. For, for me. I mean, yeah, and I think that's good because that's what it's meant to do. The illustrations are meant to bring the uh, teaching, to bring the rebuking, to bring the correcting, to bring the training, to bring the comforting to life, um, and to bridge the gap between the text, which is you know 2,000 years old or what have you, uh, to uh, today, to bridge that gap, and uh, to that the word is living, and this is how it's living in your life. Yeah, Steve, go ahead. Well, in that sermon, first when we came into the church, our mind was wondering why did these two murders and things happen? Yeah, so that one, it was easy. Yeah, that was easy when I thought about, um, in my past time, or my time, uh, when I thought about application, about what did this, what the people need to hear, I knew when that was happening that week, I knew, okay, this is what they need to hear, right? So that was kind of, sometimes things are easy and things write themselves, so... Um, so yeah, that's basically it. I'll think about illustrations. I, I will also think then from there, kind of lastly, about uh, beauty and um, making sure that uh, you know it's not like the top of the priority list, but I do want it to be um, enjoyable to listen to and beautiful to listen to in that in that sense. That it's not um, I'm not up there reading a paper on you know particle physics or something. I, you know, and and so then that gets to that also gets to delivery. So the beauty can be in the illustrations and in the in the outline itself and the structure, right? That um, it it actually flows, right? It's not. Um, so sometimes I think that. So so I I've, I've heard uh, it's it said that you know when. When Lutheran, when when people within our church body, uh, seminarians, when they first start writing sermons, and I think this was true for me, I'm sure, the the issue is not normally that I'm going to say something wrong, right? Um, I I know what Lutheran doctrine teaches. I know what the Bible says. The issue is that things might be disorganized and that it wouldn't really make any sense, even though I'm saying the right things. And so I want things to be. Organized. That's why I do an outline with a theme and major divisions, is so that it's it actually flows correctly and therefore can be beautiful. So uh, that does get to delivery, which um, so basically with delivery, I don't think about anything super specific to theology. Um, like all of this is kind of specific to delivering something about the Bible, but. Um, Really, delivery just has to do with being a good public speaker, which uh, eye contact, enunciation, uh, hand hand use, right, being kind of open with your gestures and things. Um, and then I guess there is part, – part of delivery is specific to worship, which is that it should be reverent, right, um, that it – there is a formality to delivering – a sermon in in the context of a worship service uh, that that I do so reverently that that's what the pulpit's made for, right? Um, things like that. So um, I I as you well know I'm not a big fan of you know the pastors who walk around in khaki shorts and a Hawaiian shirt and you know whatever. Um, but that's just I, I think that has to do with with worship uh, reverence, so there's that. Um, the other, del- another couple other delivery issues are uh, length, and um, my thought about length is that 
I've varied a lot in length as I've I've preached. Um, I've basically been preaching for going on five years. Uh, yeah, yeah, since I entered seminary. Um, so I've I varied a lot in length. I've I've done twelve minute sermons before, and I just feel like it's not enough to to really say something. Um, the people say that nowadays people have really short attention spans and aren't able to handle long longer sermons. I don't really think that's true. I th- I think people do have shorter attention spans, um, and that that is due to technology and scrolling on phones and the uh, apparently the uh, on TV and in movies the longest still picture nowadays is like less than a second on average. That, that there's constant jump cuts or constant changes in the picture. Um, unlike the, like if you watch like old movies, it'll like stay on one shot for like a longer period of time. Anyway, so I think our attention spans are worse, but um, I, that, that part of that has to do with like visual things. The other part of that is that even though it's true that people are jumping around a lot more in their minds, um, they will sit and watch Netflix for three hours. So it's not like they can't do something. They can't do one thing for a longer period of time. It just takes – it just has to be entertaining. And so it's on me. Part I feel like it's on me to, again, like have good organization and have a good flow and have a good delivery so that people are willing to listen for longer. And I think you – I think I can say a lot more – in in 20 to 30 minutes than I can in less than 20 minutes. So I don't know. I've, I mean, if you all tell me you hate how long I preach, I'll, I'll preach shorter, but, um, I, I just find that I can say more, uh, or, and give a fuller sermon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that could be true. Yeah, she'd be asleep. <laughs> That's true. Um, so yeah, that there's that. Um, I was gonna talk about learning styles, but I don't wanna. No. Let's see, we're about we're out of time. Um, maybe I'll finish this up some next time. Uh, yeah, this is bad timing. So we're we're about out of time. Do you? Okay, let me let me just take a straw poll. Do you want to go over the tips to get more out of Sunday now, or do you want to do that next week? Do it next week. All right. Sounds good. We'll do it next week. Yeah. Um, but hopefully that was somewhat interesting to you. Uh, I was going to talk about learning styles too, and and uh, we can do that next week. Yeah. You know, I, I like how you recovered when you realized you made a mistake. Like you were saying the wrong verse uh, last Sunday. It's uh, being a pastor on Sunday morning is part. It's partly a performance, like, and I, I don't mean that in a, like a gimmicky way, but like, I I do have to kind of do that and be on the ball when things happen. So, um, it's like a like being a stand-up comedian, except I'm just not that funny, but. You gotta feed off the audience here. You should say, oh, well, people would come up and criticize him if he made a mistake. And so one Sunday for his sermon was he said, you know, you don't really know if I did deliberately to see who is listening or who's going to criticize. Right, right. So I said, well, there's saying. no way I'm mentioning Billy's <laughs> walk. <laughs> it's a test to me. No way. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it's good. That's good. All right, let's uh, close with a final word of prayer. 
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you have given us your precious word, and we pray that we would continue to learn from it, that we would continue to hear its uh, preaching and teaching for us, that we would repent of our sins and believe on your Son, Jesus Christ, for our salvation. We pray this through through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.